Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. You ready? Well, one and a half people are ready. (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right. 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse number 7 is where I'll read, and then we'll get into this. Um, it says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth or his word is not in us. So tonight, we're going to wrap up chapter one, chapter one of 1 John uh, again. (laughs) We're going to wrap it up again uh, by bringing more clarity to last week's message on sin and forgiveness for the believer. God does not want believers to live in torment concerning sin and their eternity. So we're going to answer several questions that I mentioned on... uh, Sunday, and so we're just going to go down through those, and you'll want to mark these scriptures down as we go. I'm going to kind of blow through this first part, so there's not a lot of explanation needed. The first question that we asked, uh, or that I presented that we would ask is, how are we born again? How are we born again? You know, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And he said, how am I going to enter into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is what? And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Sometimes people wonder, well, why do you teach on basic things? Or why do you teach on things that, I, that you think you know? <laughs> do you know there's more revelation in John 3.16 than you've realized to this point? I'll tell you why. Because as we approach the rapture of the church and the end of time, okay? As we approach it, the glory of God is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. There will be manifestation of miracles on a level that has never been seen. Do you know what else happens during revival or awakening? Deception on a high level. So what we don't want, we will enjoy all the... the. Uh, major and minor and every part of the signs, wonders, miracles that God has for us at this church, but we also want to be able to discern between the real and the fake. And there's only one way to do that. And that's why we believe in a healthy balance between the word and the move of the spirit. You got to realize this. Sometimes people think, well, you know, does the, does the minister really even know when the Holy Spirit's moving? I'll just give you a little key in on me. Okay. I have spent years flowing with the Holy Ghost. And I'm not talking about just, you know, here and there, you know, an odd thing has happened or something like that. I have spent, I did eight or nine years straight almost of youth camp for Breakforth Bible Church. And almost every night we had the move of the Spirit where we would just, I would just flow with the Holy Ghost in that setting. I'd minister to people. We'd have, you know, all sorts of things took place. So the Lord, the reason why I'm telling you this is that the Lord trained me in that. And then I've been a part of the Northern Plains Believers Rally for, when did it start? 10 years ago? It was at least 10 years ago. It, it might've been, well, eight, eight to 10 years ago somewhere. I've been a speaker at it every year. And you know what we do with those? We learn to flow. I've done more tongues in it. In fact, I could step over into tongues and interpretation right now. And you say, oh, how do you do that? Years of being put on the spot. <laughs> but you know what else I know? Because of me and because of others that I've experienced this, this with, if, they, if you don't have the word, you're not stable in your day to day. Because how many realize this? You're not floating around in a glory cloud every day. Because you live on this earth. Amen? So, you know, if we're all Holy Ghost, we've said this before, but we'll say it again. If we're all Holy Ghost and no word, we're trail mix Christianity. We're full of fruits and nuts. But if we're all word, you're going to be drier, and I won't even say it, but my brother, my older brother has a really great saying about it. Yes, you know what it is. And I'm not going to say it, but you're going to be really dry. Okay? just because it's a little crude. <laughs> I think it's funny, but I know why we get in trouble. Okay, so 
How are we born again? John chapter three, verse number 16 and 17, just jot it down. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Is God looking to condemn you? No. No, 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 no. No. He's looking, never what? Looking to save you. But that the world through him might be what? Saved. So how are we born again? Right there, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice it didn't say if you do all these things right. It didn't say that, did it? It said you have to what? Believe, confess, receive. This, these are the stable scriptures that let you know you're going to heaven when you leave this, that you're a child of God. Amen? Verse 10 says this, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is, unto, is made unto salvation. And there's a whole teaching there that we don't have time to go into. Verse 11, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be what? Put to shame. Whoever does everything right in all their actions. I'm doing this on purpose. You do realize. I'm emphasizing this on purpose because I want you to see it. Now, I'm not reading to you my thoughts. I'm not reading to you my opinion. I'm reading you what? The scriptures, right? Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be if they do everything right. Nope, it's not what it says, does it? People say, well, you're, you're going to make light of sin. No, I'm just making heavy of Jesus. Okay? Because he's our salvation. Friend, if your actions could have saved you, why did Jesus come? I'm presenting this in a firm way because it's a firm foundation. Amen? All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that it is the gift of God, verse 9, not of, lest anyone should, but you know if we had to earn things, we'd boast. People say, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. You would. The Pharisees did it. The religious leaders did it. They'd stand up and pray, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. And God's going, oh, something stinks. Something stinks down there. <laughs> Religious leader had bad breath. Okay, so how are we saved? Right there, we put our faith in Jesus, right? That's how you're saved. You're born again because you put your faith in Jesus. Now, that's a divine seed. Your heart changed. There should be some fruit out of that, but the fruit you produce doesn't determine your salvation. Your salvation was determined on receiving Christ, right? Okay, so what do we do if we sin or when we've sinned after we're born again? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to read uh, a commentary, the living commentary to you on this uh, by Andrew Womack. So he says this. This begs the questions. If forgiveness and cleansing are conditional on confessing our sins, then what happens if we don't confess our sins? Are they not forgiven? And if they aren't forgiven, then what are the consequences of that? The strictest interpretation of this uh, scripture would lead to believe, lead you to believe that if there is any unconfessed sin in our lives, we would not be forgiven. Although some have interpreted ver this verse this way to say that, this certainly is not what this means. The word confess is translated from the Greek homo logeo, okay? This was a compound word made up of two Greek words, homo and logos. Homo means same. It's where we get the words homosexual. Same sex. That's what homo means. Means same. Okay? Logos means something said. 
So you're saying the same thing. Okay, does that make sense? You're confessing, you're what? You're saying the same thing. So it means to speak the same thing according to Vine's Expository Dictionary. When we sin, we are not saying, thinking, or doing the same thing as, as the Lord. But when we confess our sins, we are turning from our way of thinking and agreeing with the Lord that what we have done was wrong. Do you get that? That's what you're doing. Our sin doesn't separate us from the Lord as under the Old Testament. <laughs> some people are like, you know, I'll get stronger amens on some things and then some of these, I know when they're going to hit because you're going to go, oh, I don't know about that. Listen, the only place you were separated is in your own mind. Okay, let's ask this question right here. If your sin after you're saved separates you from God, does that mean you have to get born again again? When you sin, is God a petty child, immature child that goes, huh, he did it to me again. Michael, <laughs> Gabriel, come here, group hug. <laughs> group hug, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Now, I'm going heavy on one side here, you understand? But it's because I want to kill condemnation. The Lord says, if you sin, come. How many feel bold after you did something you weren't supposed to? I wonder why he asks or says that. He knows we need to stand up and start walking right towards him. Go, Lord, you were right. I confess, I'm saying the same thing. This is wrong. I confess it's wrong, and he, good, I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? Do you see that? All our sins have already been paid for. If they haven't, who needs to come again and pay for them? <laughs> Some of you are getting it. You're like, oh, yeah. You see how the devil confuses this stuff? But the word will come right in, bring light, and you'll go, huh, there it is. And I'm going to deal with the tough scriptures on this stuff later, so just hang on. <laughs> but as long as we walk in unconfessed sin, Satan has an inroad into our lives. God doesn't want you to confess sin because he's mad at you. He doesn't want the devil to get access to you. That's why you confess sin. Nobody is saying sin is right. In fact, I'm going to hit that a little heavier later. There's a real reason why we don't want to sin. Because it goes a particular direction. It leads you what? Away from your righteousness. Do you see that? I didn't say you lose it. I said it leads you away from it. And I'm just going to say this again. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot lose your salvation. I don't even like that statement. Now, you can reject your salvation, but you cannot just, you're not, you say, why do you have to say it that way? Because have you ever lost your wallet? Did you mean to? You're walking around to asking your wife, where's my wallet? Where's my wallet? I can't find my wallet. That'd be like, and, and you're not remembering where it is. You want to remember where it is. Is that how your salvation is? It's nothing like that. And I don't just wake up in the morning and go, oh no, I lost it. How? I don't know. And then people will pray, God, where did it go? And they don't feel like they get an answer. And then they go, oh. The devil speaks to him. See, you lost it. No, it ain't that easy. You need to tell the devil, no, stupid, it's not that easy. You can call him stupid, it's okay. People are like, my mom told me not to call people stupid. <laughs> He's not a person, so don't worry about it. All right. We need to confess that sin, walk away from the thinking that got us into that mess, and agree with God that what we did was wrong. Then the forgiveness that is already a reality in our spirits becomes a reality in our soul and flesh. This cleanses us from all the attack of the devil that we opened ourselves up to. 
Satan can work in the flesh and souls of believers who have unconfessed sin. So if you're hanging on to something, if you have something in your life like a hatred for somebody, a bitterness, usually with Christians, it's, you know, things like jealousy and stuff like that. It's usually not really overt fleshy sins. It's other stuff inside. If you hang on to something, that gives an inroad to the enemy into your life. It doesn't mean God left you. It doesn't mean God left you. All right. Satan cannot exist in the flesh or souls of believers who have confessed their sins and understand and believe they are totally forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. So the confession of sins encouraged here is not for our eternal salvation. Okay? But to rid us of the inroad of Satan that Satan gains into our lives through our sins. In a sense, Satan has a right to afflict us when we cooperate with him through sin. Confessing that we, have, uh, that we did was sin and repenting of that action closes a door on the devil and opens the door to the Lord. Okay? So does committing sin a sin after we are born again, cause our righteous position in Christ to become an unrighteous position? No, it doesn't. And there should be more stronger no's on that. So does our position or does committing a sin after we are born again cause our righteous position in Christ to become an unrighteous position? No. no. If, if, if it does... If it does, then you have to get born again, again. People say, well, you give an altar call. Sometimes you ask for the backslider. Yeah, but I don't, I'm not saying they're not saved. It's just like the prodigal son. Was the prodigal son not a son? The father sure didn't know any different. He embraced his son. Did the father love the, the obedient son any more than the prodigal son? No. The obedient son didn't even know the love of the father like the prodigal son did. He could have had that stuff all along that the prodigal got when he returned home, but instead he was too busy trying to be a legalist. And pointing out the sins of his brother. Well, okay. Do we lose our relationship with God when we sin as a believer? No. Now you hinder your fellowship, but again, that's on our side, not on, not on God's. Amen? God's character is just that way. So forgiveness is absolution or pardoning from sin is, sin's punishment and cleansing is absolution or pardoning from sin's pollution. Do you see that? One is punishment, one is pollution. Can sin pollute a believer? Yeah. You don't wanna live in sin, it's gonna confuse you. As a believer, first of all, your own heart's gonna go, this ain't right, this ain't right, this ain't right. Your flesh is gonna go, we still wanna do this. And your mind's gonna go, what are we gonna do here? Make up your mind. But God is none of those voices in the sense of he's not going, I don't know what to do. Well, you need to pick it. He's in heaven going, I'm your father. I love you. Come to me. I'll show you what to do. Amen? Amen. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My little children, these things I write to you. What do we do if we sin after we're born again? So that you may not sin. So the word helps us how not to sin. It gives us instruction on how to live sin free in our day-to-day -day lives. And if anyone sins, we have a what? So he writes to the brethren, and he says, here's some teaching for you so that you don't sin. And the very next uh, sentence, is, uh, sentence is, and if anyone sins, what does the Holy Ghost know? He knows that you have an unrenewed mind and that you have flesh, and it's gonna take time to grow in the Lord. Amen? He understands that. God is not impatient with you like you're impatient with you or your spouse is impatient with you. God is patient. Amen? 
And he says, we have a what with the father? An advocate. What is an advocate? It's a lawyer. Jesus is my lawyer. He's your lawyer. He is the one that ever liveth to make intercession for you and me. So when God sees Jesus and then looks at you, he goes, we're good. Now, if God sees Jesus and you're not on the other end, we got a problem, Houston. Right? Because he's our intercessor, right? Okay? So that would be for people that aren't born again. Verse 2 says this, and he himself is the what? What does that word mean? Payment. Who's the payment for my sins concerning the Father? Jesus. Your good works are the payment. Your perfect actions are the payment. People say, is it really necessary to hit this this hard? It is because some of you think you're in relationship with God based on your works and you're in religion. You're not in fellowship with God because of your works. Now, is it pleasing? Does he like? Any parent loves to see their kids do the right thing. But that is not the basis for our relationship under the new covenant. The basis is faith in the work of Christ. Jesus is the fulfilled. How many have seen the trailer for The Chosen? The new one, the new season coming out. There's this one part in it. This religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, if you don't change, you know, what you're doing and saying, we're going to have to follow the law of Moses. And Jesus steps a little closer. I love Jesus. He steps a little closer and he says, I am the law of Moses. <laughs> you know, they flipped their lid when he said stuff like that. First of all, he said, I am. Whoo. And then he said, the law of Moses. I love the things Jesus said. I don't want to get off on it, but it's just so great. <laughs> Jesus preaching to a person, this person at the well, the, 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 uh, what's her name? The Samaritan woman at the well. And she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? He says, before Jacob was, I am. I wonder if she went, hmm. <laughs> Come on. He knew Jacob in seed form. And we think we're in a situation that God doesn't know about. Come on, think about God. He found the woman who had five husbands. And the one she was living with wasn't her husband. And he said, yeah, I want you. And then he made her an evangelist. A woman preacher. <gasps> Heresy. Okay, that was fun. All right, moving on. Why is it important that we live a holy life? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. This is why it's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such, such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. This is in the church at Corinth. Do you see that there? It's a sexual sin. Look at, the, look at the sentence. It's sexual, and it's such sexual immorality as is not what? Even named among the unsaved. Can Christians sin? Oh, my goodness. If you haven't, if you just got saved, let me help you. You may get ripped off by somebody with a Jesus fish on their card. You know, people say, well, I'm not going back to the church. They treated me horrible. Man, some Christians, according to this, can sin worse than the world. <laughs> this man had his father's wife. That's weird. Some people are like, I'm not going to read the Bible. You know, they'll watch stuff on TV and think, ooh, this is, this is not good. They read their Bible, you find just the same stuff in there. 
Not that I'm encouraging the stuff on TV. All right, so Paul goes on to say this, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For indeed, as I, for I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, boy, there's a whole thought right there, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to what? Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be what? saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. Did Paul say this man was headed to hell automatically? But he's living in gross sin. Come on, we're not in the South, but this might remind me a little bit of the South. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I know a guy who I think married his first cousin. And he was like 16 at the time, and I think she was in her 20s. And we, <laughs> people, you should see people's faces. You really knew that guy? Me and Mike worked with him. He thought old age was 50. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and he was in his 30s. People can do some messed up stuff. But what did Paul say here? This is, so the question here is, is that, I, that I gave to you is this. Why is it important to live a holy life? Because where does fleshiness lead you? Away from the Lord. Away from righteousness, right? away from relationship and fellowship with him. It doesn't end it. It leads me and you away from it. Come on, what did James say? Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto. In other words, there'll be closeness when we walk in maturity or walk in the righteousness that we possess. We control our flesh. There'll be intimacy with the father. The goal is intimacy, right? With him. So, and part of the goal then is as a byproduct of that is that we're salt and light to all the world. But what did Paul say here? He's saying, look, this person has made a decision that needs to be judged. We're going to judge it. In other words, the church doesn't need to put up with it. You know, it's one thing if a homosexual comes into the church and gives their heart to Jesus and they're still struggling with that lifestyle for a little while. It's another thing if they've been in the church for 30 years and they're saying, no, I'm going to live both lifestyles. You can't. Your heart is contrary. And people say, well, what will God do? Turn you over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh that your soul might be saved. Even in the midst of what is considered, what we consider gross sin, what is God's goal for this man? Salvation. Right? Isn't that interesting? And in context, context, it makes perfect sense. Now, before anybody gets too righteously indignant over this, I'm going to hit a verse at the end of this, and you're going to go, oh. Because, you know, we like to throw certain sins into the unpardonable category that are not. And we think we have scripture to back it up, but in context, you don't. Or I don't. And I'll prove it toward the end. In context. So what are we seeing here? Even if we, you and I know somebody that's deep in sin, and I know a few people, that are deep in sin, that have been saved at one time. They're not living like they should. God has not given up on them yet. Have we? Because the scripture says we're, we're supposed to intercede for them. It doesn't say we're supposed to gossip about what they're doing in their private time. I had a guy, and I've, told, I've shared this before, I had a gentleman corner me out here uh, by our new coffee bar. Well, it was new at the time. <laughs> And I knew he was waiting for me, and I was waiting for him. People say, how do you know? I know by the Holy Ghost. I've been at this long enough. I can tell when, hunt, when bird dogs are hunting. 
You know what I mean by that? They're sniffing. They're looking. And I, and I went out, and he tried to tell me that he knew if somebody was going to hell or not. And I'm thinking to myself, and he condemned this former friend of his to hell. Because she had gotten into a lesbian relationship and divorced her husband, all of this stuff, and gotten into a lesbian. And he said, if she dies, she gets in a car, she's going to hell. I said, how do you know? What if she repents with her last breath? And how do you know God has named her reprobate? Did you have, did you have a revelation? Did the Holy Spirit come and show you an open vision of the condition of her heart? In other words, my point is, is this, we need to stay away from it and engage in intercession for people and believe God for miracles. I'm not saying we condone any lifestyle. That's not what I'm God doesn't condone it, but he does. He cares so much for the lost and he understands the condition of this world and the condition of people to such a degree that he said, send Jesus. They've done nothing right. Send Jesus to intercede on their behalf. You know, the worst day for the Lord is when somebody ends up in hell, not in heaven. Because God's not willing that we shouldn't forget that. And this is really good news for all of us. Because your sin may not be that. But there's lots of others listed in the scripture. And the longer I've walked with the Lord, especially in, in studying some of this, I've been like, oh, okay. Got more growing up to do. This is good stuff. We're making good progress tonight. I was wondering what was going to happen. Because the last Wednesday, I was like, man, maybe I ought to leave this alone. But more people came out this Wednesday than last Wednesday, so we must be doing all right. <laughs> all right. Next question. What is the unpardonable sin? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 4. You ready? Here we go. Now, if you're confused on this, please write stuff down. Or, here's the wonderful thing, this is all being recorded. It will be available. Well, it'll be available on Facebook it, shortly after. But uh, it'll always be available. We'll log it in the archives of the website, and you can watch it over and over and over and over and over again as much as you need. People say, did it take you a while to get this? Yes! It's taken me... I wish I could... Lord, I need an illustration that'll help them understand. I, I mean, I'll sit and it, it's, it gets stuck in my head. I don't know how to describe this. You know, you may be, I don't know what you're passionate about, but I want the answer. Um, sometimes I think I'm just gonna give up on, on having the answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I don't wanna deal with this anymore. <laughs> so I'm gonna give up on having the answer. But I want the answer. I want it so bad. And I get, uh, sometimes I have to like back myself off. Because I'm like, okay, I'm trying too hard in the natural here. But I want to understand it. And the reason why I want to understand it is because I don't want you to be confused. I don't know how to describe that other than I'm a pastor. Now I'm a minister. I'm called to the defense of the gospel. And so I want you to understand this because I watch what Satan does with people and their thinking. I mean, people that have been saved for 20, 30 years wonder if they've committed the unpardonable sin. You haven't. You haven't. Just by the fact that it bothers you that you might shows me you haven't. Because somebody who's committed the unpardonable sin goes, no, I hate Jesus, I spit on him, I want nothing to do with him. And you can't even do that at an immature level. You have to be at a mature level first. All right, Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 4. For it is impossible for those who, have, who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, verse 5, and have tasted of the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, verse 6, 
if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Okay, you ready? Verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. The logic being presented in these first few verses of Hebrews 6 is that a person cannot be born again, again, or multiple times. In other words, we don't lose our salvation every time we sin and therefore have to become born again, again. So quit preaching how to be saved to those who are already saved. Go on to other things, okay, that will bring them to maturity in the Lord. Do you know why some people come to the altar? It's really mostly a rededication in in many cases because people have lived in such sin that they think God has rejected them when in reality, they've walked away from him. He never moved. He's still at home waiting for you to put on the ring and all that good stuff. Go on to other things that will bring them to maturity in the Lord. Many denominations in the modern church need to get this point. The next few verses have been the source of much controversy over the centuries. Some interpret these verses to prove that Christians can lose their salvation. Others say this is hypothetical. That is to say they believe this is showing by presenting how impossible it would be to get Christians born again again, that they cannot lose their salvation. I believe these verses are saying Christians can renounce their salvation, not lose, renounce. So people say, once a person is born again, can they renounce it later? Yes. Now I'm gonna show this to you and I'm gonna give you some scripture to back this up and some explanation here to help you. We're gonna see this through these verses. There are five qualifications given though that must be met in, before Christians can choose to become reprobate. Hebrews 6.6 6 states very clearly that if this happens, they can never be renewed unto faith in the Lord again. This is, this is certainly not a proof text for the doctrine that every time we sin, we lose our salvation and become backslid and have to confess that sin and be born again again. Some wrongly teach that if we die before we confess and come back to the Lord, we would go to hell, even though we were once saved. That is a terrible doctrine that destroys people's faith. How are you going to keep up with every little sin you commit? That's my question. People say, well, how do I know what to confess? You'll know. Oh, that was wrong. Come on, how many have said something to your spouse or somebody else? You go, uh, uh, you know, inside it's going, you know, like that. You're going, that was wrong. That was a bad idea. Bad idea. And that's your conscience going, stop it, dingling. <laughs> Get your head screwed on straight. As my grandpa would say, use your head for something besides a hat rack. It was good life lessons, you know. If you don't play in the mud, you won't get any on you. It's deep thoughts. All right. Verse 5, and have tasted of the word of God and the powers to come. In Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 5, five things are listed that people have to do before they can be capable of falling away. The word is falling away used here in Hebrews 6, 6. The first is this. They have to have been enlightened. You have to be enlightened first before you could fall away. This is speaking of having the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to them. This is similar to what Jesus said in John 6, 44 and verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 65, which says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto him except it were given unto him of my father. So the first thing is, is they have to be enlightened. The second thing is they have to have tasted of the heavenly gift. I believe this is speaking of the gift of salvation. We know we saw this in Ephesians 2.8. In other words, lost people cannot fall away from what they never had. Can lost people fall away? They never had anything, right? So they can't fall away, all right? So... 
um, there, has to be, there has to have been a supernatural conversion, not just religious exercise. The third thing is this, they have to have been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. This is speaking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. People who, have, who haven't received the Holy Spirit cannot fall away. The fourth is this, they have to have tasted of the good word of God. I believe this is speaking about how there has to, there has to have been revelation knowledge of God's word. This is more than just knowing some facts about God's word. It is describing those who have had God supernaturally reveal truth to them from his word. And the fifth is this, they have to have what? Partaken of the powers of the world to come. That sounds spooky to some people, but it's in the Bible. And this is speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and supernatural power in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5 through 11. This is speaking of those who have operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and seen the power of God manifest through them. These five qualifications are basically describing a mature Christian which is what the author had exhorted the original readers to become in Hebrews 5, verse 11 through 13. The writer was saying that immature Christians cannot reject their salvation. It's like minors in our society who would want to renounce their families. When they are children, they would not have any such desire imputed unto them. Because who's their guardian? The parent, right? The parent, so they can't, it can't be imputed unto them. Many children have been upset and said they wished they were not their parents' children. I want a different mom. <laughs> Tough, this is the one you got. That they belonged to someone else, but the law wouldn't uphold such a wish because they aren't old enough to know what they are saying. But if they are grown and want to change their names and separate from their biological families, the law would back them up. It all depends on the level of maturity. Likewise, these verses are saying that immature Christians will not be held accountable for blasphemy against God. Indeed, the apostle Paul said he was forgiven of blasphemy because he did it what? Ignorantly in unbelief. Therefore, don't let any immature Christians who get discouraged and said some foolish, uh, some foolish thing think that they are reprobate because they rejected God. If they weren't mature as defined in these verses, they weren't held accountable for their actions. So if they fall away, this isn't speaking of someone sinning, verse 6, or, fall, or failing God in some area. This is speaking of becoming an apostate. This is what the Greek word parapipto uh, that is listed here as falling away was translated falling away means it means apostate. This same thing is described in Hebrews 10, 29 of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall ye be brought thought worthy who have trodden underfoot the son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith, was, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. This verse is clearly saying that once people willfully reject the Lord and have enough maturity to know what they are doing as described in Hebrews 6, verse 4 through 5, it's impossible for them to be saved again. There is no more sacrifice for their sins. Jesus dealt with their sins once, and if they reject that, he will not die for their sins again. Instead of these verses teaching a loss of salvation every time we sin and that we have to repent and get back into the grace of God, they are proclaiming just the opposite. If people do renounce their salvation, they can never recover from that. If it were true that after we are born again, we lose our salvation when we sin and are backslid and in a damned state until we repent and get back into salvation, then the best thing to do would be to kill all new converts as soon as they were saved. Am I wrong? Come to the altar, receive Jesus. Here's some Kool-Aid. What's in the Kool-Aid? Don't worry about it. Just drink it. We want to make sure you make it before you get out the door. Because you might cuss somebody when you trip over, you know, stub your toe on the chair. Well, got to come back to the altar. Get saved again. Oh, no, I had a bad thought. Oh, got to come back. 
Do you understand the insanity of that? So let your mind be at rest. And and you say, why do you say that? Because there are sins sitting in the room. People say, how do you know that? Because I'm here. (laughs) I don't need to be a prophet to know. You can let your mind go any direction you want. And it could be any number of things. People let their minds go to all these different things. But guys, something as simple as bitterness is a sin. Having ill will in your heart to your brother and sister in Christ is a sin. And guess what? You're not going to go to hell over it. You're inviting the enemy to play in your playground. You know, it's like, how many remember uh, when there was sand in the playground areas? And you had to be wary. And you say, of what? Cats using it. (laughs) Now they do them rubber chunks. You know, that fake whatever, you know, because nobody can get hurt, you know, that way. I doubt cats are pawing through that pooping. But when we were kids... And we had nothing safety. We just got over it. You had to watch out for landmines. Well, that's what it's like when you sin. You're going to play on the playground of life. You're going to sin. You're going to let the enemy in. And he's going to poop in your sandbox. And you may step in it. And then you got some on you. And you need to go to Jesus and have that unrighteousness get off you. That would be the only way they could ever retain their salvation. That is a foolish religious doctrine to think that. All right, I'm going to end with this. I don't, I'm not going to even get to 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, so next week, huh, I even read fast. Next week, we will look at 1 Corinthians 9 through 11. For all those that read this scripture and like to use it to condemn people to hell. The scripture is, 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? But do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. You know, it's interesting to me, and I just got to comment on this, that homosexuals are listed with the covetous. Everybody likes to point out the homosexual or the sodomite, But you know what they ignore? They ignore the reveler. Do you know what a reveler is? It's a person who assails with or uses abusive language. Guess what? You're going to hell too. (laughs) Along with the homosexual that you abused with your language. That stuff just lights me up, (laughs) as you can tell. Because we hurt the church and we hurt people. Now, I'm, I'm talking about hinder people when we take things and just pull it out of context and start saying it. First of all, this scripture isn't even talking about Christians. Because if you go back to verse number nine, go back one, Ian. Do you not know that the... Are you the unrighteous? So who's it talking to? The unsaved. And if you look at the context of the scripture and the context of the chapters, Paul was making an argument to the Corinthian believers saying, he didn't say they weren't saved. He said, why are you acting like you're not saved? This is what the unsaved do. Have you noticed anything about your life? (laughs) Hello. But he didn't say you're going to hell, you filthy buggers. God hates you, you little homosexual. He doesn't, he never did that. Did he? He never did that. Why did he mention this? Come on, people think, well, you know, uh, (laughs) we get self-righteous about these things. How about extortioners? How many businessmen and women? 
oh, God has blessed me so much. And they're ripping people off left and right. And they're claiming they're Christians. They probably are. But guess what? They're living like the world. Because let me ask you a question. How many homosexuals that just quit homosexuality made heaven? I'm going to ask you again. How many homosexuals that just quit homosexuality, they just controlled their flesh, made heaven? Zero. Because how do you make heaven? You have to receive Jesus. You have to receive Jesus. All right, this is the book. It's called I Believe in Visions by Kenneth E. Hagan. I'm going to read a section to you here, just a couple of pages, about a lady that was reprobate, and I want you to listen. She ended up reprobate, okay? The Lord went on to say the highest types of demons. If you want to know about visions and different things, this is a great book. I recommend it. Now, this is not the Bible, but he quotes the Bible in here, and so we weigh what we read here against here. Watch now. We don't read this and, and then try to make this line up with this. We read this and we check it against this. If this doesn't line up with this, we get rid of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a deep revelation, I know. But there are people going, I read this book on dreams and visions. And I found all the scriptures for it. Well, you can make the Bible say anything you want. I can prove to you that Judas went and hung himself and you should go and do that likewise. From the Bible. <laughs> it's not following any good rules concerning Bible interpretation. But I can prove that. So see if you hear the scripture and if you see what we talked about here. The Lord went on to say, and this is a vision, Jesus appeared to him. The highest types of demons with which you will have to deal with on earth the rulers of the darkness of this world rule all unsaved people, all who are in darkness. They rule over them and dominate them. That is why people do and say things they don't intend to, not, not saved people, but unsaved people. That is why some good people say, I would never do anything like that, and before the year has passed, they have done something worse. This is because they are dominated by the rulers of the darkness of this world. They are in the kingdom of darkness, and whether you want to admit it or not, even your close friends and relatives or whoever it may be, if they are unsaved, are dominated by these spirits who are rulers of the darkness of this world. Don't get mad at your unsaved family and friends. They don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. It is always one of the rulers of the darkness of this world that possesses a person. They rule not only those who are within the darkness of this world, but they also tell the powers what to do. And there are different levels being listed here. And they're listed in Ephesians. Then the powers rule over the principalities and tell them what to do. The lowest type of demons have very little to do with deciding. They do very little thinking of their own and are told what to do. Now I will show you how these evil spirits get a hold of people when they are allowed to, when they are allowed to. When they are allowed to, who allows them to? Right? You and me, right? If we allow them to. Do you know an unsaved person can resist a devil? They can. And you say, I'm going to show you how it's done, okay? So, the Lord said to me, he said, I'm going to show you how. Suddenly in a vision, in the vision, I saw a woman. And I immediately recognized her as being a former wife of a minister. I had been introduced to her and her husband on one occasion. Other than that, other than that, I didn't know either of them, and I had no communication with either of them in any way. I only knew that she had since left her husband. This woman was a child of mine, the Lord said. She was in the ministry with her husband. She was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit were operating in her life. One day, an evil spirit came to her and whispered in her ear, You are a beautiful woman. You could have fame, popularity, and wealth, but you have been cheated in life by following in the Christian walk. Doesn't that sound like the devil? The woman realized that this was an evil spirit, and she said, get thee behind me, Satan. The spirit left her for a period of time. By and by, the same spirit returned. He sat on her shoulder and whispered in her ear, you are a beautiful woman. 
but you have been robbed by taking this lowly walk of Christianity and living a separated life. Again, she recognized this as Satan and said, Satan, I resist you in the name of Jesus. And he left her for a while, but he came back again and sat on her shoulder, whispering the same things in her ear. This time she began to entertain these thoughts for she liked to think she was beautiful. But we have a culture today. Okay. As she began to think, I don't think you should think you're ugly. Just, I'm not implying that, okay? <laughs> We're just arrogant. We're self-centered. We have iPhones. And we take self-ease. Some guys in here are going, what's that? She began to think along these lines the devil suggested to her, and she became obsessed with that thinking. Then in the vision, I saw the woman become as transparent as glass. I saw a black dot go into her mind. That dot represents the fact that she is obsessed in her thinking with this spirit. The Lord said at first she was oppressed on the outside, but as she allowed the devil's suggestion to take hold of her thoughts, her mind became obsessed. She wanted to think, I'm a beautiful woman. I could have wealth and popularity, but I have been robbed in life. Still, it wasn't too late. She could have resisted. She could have refused to think those thoughts. Then the evil spirit would have fled from her and she would have remained free. But she chose otherwise. Who chose? She did. Finally, she left her husband and went out into the world, seeking the fame and wealth with which the devil offered. She took up with one man after another, after she left her husband. After a time, that thing got down into her spirit. In the vision, I saw the black dot move from her head to her heart, and then the woman said, I do not want the Lord anymore. Just leave me alone. I said, Lord, why are you showing this to me? Do you want me to pray for this woman? Do you want me to cast the devil out of her? No, I don't want you to pray and cast the devil out of her, the Lord answered, because you couldn't anyway. She wants that spirit. And as long as she wants it, she can have it. Now, I know people say, well, we got authority. To a degree. If they want the spirit, they can have it. Then why did you show me this, Lord? I have shown you this so that for two reasons. First, so you could know how an evil spirit will get a hold of a person, even a child of God, if they will let him. Second, I want you to deal with that spirit who is operating through the woman and harassing and, and intimidating the ministry of her former husband. In other words, she was lying about her former husband. How do I do that, I asked. The minister was in the same state I was in, but the woman was in another state. The Lord said to him, there is no distance in the realm of the spirit. The Lord said, simply speak to that spirit and command him in the name, in my name, saying, you foul spirit that is operating in the life of this woman, calling her name, that is harassing and, and embarrassing the ministry of the servant of the Lord, calling her husband's name or former husband's. I command you to desist in your operations and stop in your maneuvers this moment. In the spirit, I said those words and immediately the spirit ceased to operate through her to intimidate the minister. For that day, from that day forward, the minister never again was troubled by her or that spirit. Lord, what will happen to her, I asked. She will spend eternity in the regions of the damned where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, he answered. And in the vision, I saw her go down into the pit and I heard her awful screams. This woman was your child, Lord. She was filled with the spirit and part of the min and, to, and had part in the ministry. Yet you said not to pray for her. I cannot understand this. The Lord reminded me of the following scripture. If any man see his brother in sin and sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for that sin, not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. That's 1 John 5, 16. I said, but Lord, I have always believed that that sin referred to the scripture, that, to this scripture is physical death, that the death that was mentioned there is physical death. And that person is saved, although he has sinned. But that scripture doesn't say physical death. The Lord pointed out, you are adding something to it. If you will read the entire fifth chapter of 1 John, you will see that it is talking about life and death, spiritual life and spiritual death. And this is spiritual death. This refers to a believer who can sin a sin unto death. 
And therefore I say, you shall not pray for it. I told you not to pray for this woman because she sinned a sin unto death. What is the sin unto death? It's the rejection of Christ. Now watch, I want you to hear this. This really disrupts my theology, Lord. Would you explain more, some more, I asked. Sometimes we need our theology disrupted if it is not in line with the word. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 is then Jesus quotes to, to Brother Higgin, and I'm not going to read that because we already did. He said, yes, I know that scripture, but my denomination said that those who were once enlightened does not refer to Christians. It means lost persons who get under conviction. The Lord said, remember, I told you this woman was my child. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. She had part in the ministry. You will notice that the scripture says it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. I am the heavenly gift, Jesus said. A man under conviction is enlightened, but he has not tasted of me yet. The word of God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. I am the heavenly gift, and the man under conviction has not tasted of the heavenly gift. He sees his wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. No one has tasted the heavenly gift, the gift of God, until he has received eternal life by accepting me as Lord and Savior. Notice the words in this scripture. We're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. This woman had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, had tasted of the good word of God. Or as the Phillips translation reads, who have known the wholesome nourishment of the word of God. In other words, baby Christians cannot commit the sin unto death. They cannot. It is to be regretted that the baby Christian lives as, if, as, as they sometimes do, in other words, in sin, and they say and do some things they should not, but I do not hold these things against them any more than I would hold things uh, against a little, ch or any more than you would hold things, uh, things a little child may do against him because he doesn't know any better. The person referred to in scripture, and that includes the woman I am showing you, has tasted of the word of God. That is, he or she has grown beyond the baby Christian stage. One scripture says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world, that they may grow thereby. The sincere milk of the word, um, she had tasted the solid meat of the word. She already had tasted of the powers of the world to come. She had the gifts of the Spirit operating in, her, in operation in her life. Jesus continued, for one to commit a sin unto death, you would have to have all five of these experiences. And we already listed them, so I'm not going to go into them. And then in Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, it talks about the same thing, and I'm not going to go into that. Uh, you can look at it later if you want. The Lord said to me, the sin that the Scripture speaks about is that of the believer who turns his back upon me. Notice the words in this scripture. He hath despised, he hath despised the law of Moses. Um, uh, he, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall be, the, shall be thought worthy of who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. I'm reading the King James Version, so it's a little backwards to me. Because of great persecution, the Hebrew Christians referred to in Hebrews 10 in, these, in this passage were tempted to go back to Judaism. But if they went back, they would have trodden underfoot the Son of God. They would have counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. For they were saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. He is not the Son of God. They turned their backs on me. This is why Paul warned them that if they did that, it would be impossible to renew them unto repentance. So that was with the Jews. This is the last section. It is sad that this woman left her husband for another man, but adultery is not the unpardonable sin. If she had turned, her, if she had turned back to me in repentance, even though she might have had a hundred men, this is what the Lord said to her, a hundred men, I would have forgiven her whatever she might have done. If she had asked me to forgive her, I would have. Even if, she had, even if she had been a baby Christian when she said, I don't want Jesus anymore, leave me alone, and didn't actually realize what she was doing, I would have forgiven her. If she had done that because she was tempted and pressed into it beyond measure, I would have forgiven her. But she knew exactly what she was doing, and she acted willfully. 
when, I, when she said, I don't want him anymore. Therefore, I tell you not to pray for her. I merely show you this is this. I merely show you this so you might see how the devil can get a hold of a Christian if they will permit him to. So in other words, I'll say this. You know, I've walked with the Lord for a little while and I've grown some. But I don't know many Christians that are living at a mature, mature level. There are some, but I'm talking about a mature level. And we're not talking about some flippant thing that can just... And all of a sudden, it's over. We're talking about something specific. This is a detailed thing that cannot just happen by accident. It is specific. And you need to look at it this way. Out of the list of all the sins that we know, which is the one that can lead to that place? the denial or the rejection of Christ, right? So don't, don't take that truth and expand it to things that it doesn't apply to. I know we're over, but do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, don't go down the path of condemning people to hell or yourself. You heard it in there. The Lord said to Brother Hagin, and we saw it in Scripture, if she would have had a hundred men. You know, in our mind, we think what? They're done. Because we think naturally. What, is what does God say? Nope, I ain't done. What is, what is God's purpose? What is his main goal? You to be with him. And he drives that line so hard that the only thing that will separate you from him once you're born again is if you don't want him in your life anymore. And you know what I've found out through the years? I know people that have struggled with alcohol and being a drunk. I know people that have struggled with sexual sin, not just the ones that are popular in the news today, all sorts of different things. I, I know people that have struggled with bitterness and unforgiveness, but you know what I always recognize in them when I start talking to them about the Lord or if they come to me, they are not happy with the way their life is or what they're doing and they want ha to have forgiveness and freedom, which tells me what? They are not reprobate. They are not apostate. And the good news for you and me is we're still in. <laughs> Do you see that? People say, well, yeah, but you don't know. I'm still struggling with this. And I still got this thing going on. And I don't like it. Yeah, well, keep growing with the Lord. When, when all of us, when, when somebody in the church gets perfect... Amen? Amen? Okay. I went through more than one verse. <laughs> we'll come back and we'll come back to the other one, I guess, next Wednesday. Lord have mercy. I want to end it. But I gotta slow down. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that our salvation is secure in you. We're so grateful for that, Lord. So grateful, and we desire to continue to mature in you and live a more and more sanctified, experiential sanctified life in you as we walk with you. We don't want to give the devil any entry into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that every time we confess a sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and that we can always come boldly to you. Thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.